Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, we conclude today, we complete today the series entitled The Signs of the Time with a message entitled The Message of Christmas. Galatians chapter 4. You know, when I think of the message of Christmas, I would say to you that the message of Christmas is vague at best and veiled at worst. The real message of Christmas seems to be lost. I mean, in this room we say we're celebrating the the birth of Jesus. We're celebrating the birthday of the Savior. We're celebrating the birthday of the Savior. And yet, don't anybody publicly demonstrate and yet, when it gets to his birthday, what do we do? Next Sunday is the day that we set aside to celebrate his birthday. Did you realize that many churches are canceling services? We'll be here at 9 o'clock next Sunday. Hope you will. But you see, the truth is, we have relegated Christmas to a time of family get-together, traditions, gifts, Lights and the like. Now, before I'm misquoted, there is nothing wrong with family get-together, lights and tinsel and gifts and giving. Nothing wrong with that, except when it replaces the true meaning of Christmas. It is always a problem when the trappings of Christmas replace the truth of Christmas. And I come to you as fellow believers this morning. People who have trusted Christ, people who have followed Christ to say to you that this culture needs to see truth, real truth, divine truth, everlasting truth, and they will not see truth unless they see it in you and in me. This culture is so dark and it's so dismal they, real, they really need to see the authentic truth, the genuine truth, the truth about Mary's little boy, the truth about the son that God gave. They need to see that in us. I'm glad to say my wife's in the nursery, so, uh, you know, if you want to tell her I said this, it's fine. I didn't do this. I'm glad to say that in the Watts household, since we've had kids, that my wife has started a tradition that the children love. They always look forward to mom, to mom or Grammy bringing out the birthday cake for Jesus. What do we do at Christmas time to celebrate the message, the true meaning of Christmas? This morning, let's get the uh, let's get Paul's take on the Christmas story. You will stand, Galatians chapter four. We're just going to read a few verses. Chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 4. Read through verse 7. Follow along because this is indeed God's Word. But when the completion of the time came, that means at just the right time, when the completion of the time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray. Father, take these next few moments and enlighten our hearts with the truth and the message of Christmas. I pray that you will not let us escape from this truth and that you will draw our hearts to you, that we can be changed by you in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I already told you on that video, I almost didn't make it to the end because there was so much silliness in there. And yet, do you remember what he said? It was worth the whole deal, the payoff line. If I'd have been God, the world would have been out of luck. Couldn't give my son. But thankfully, God is not us. Thankfully, his ways and his thoughts and what he does is above ours. And so today, I want to give you the message of Christmas. I'm going to do it a little uniquely. You're looking on the back of your bulletin. If you're a note taker and you're going, how in the world is he going to make this come together? I want to give you the message of Christmas in one sentence. For you see... In seminary, they teach that you should be always able to sum up your message in one sentence. When I was starting seminary, Brother Terry, somebody, one of my men heard me say that, and he said, well, why don't you just come out and read that one sentence let us go home? What I want to do is I want to give to you the sentence that is the message of Christmas. Would you direct your attention to the screen, please? Here it is. God sent his son Jesus to redeem, to reclaim, and to restore. Something happened. God sent his son Jesus to redeem, to reclaim, to restore. You see on the screen now, God. Let's just unpack that sentence. God. You know what the truth is? Everything begins with God. The fourth verse begins, God. We seem to miss that everything in our life begins with the one true, holy, and wise God. The first chapter of the Bible begins with, in the beginning, God. The last chapter of the Bible ends with us pointing us to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, through the Son in whose birthday that we mention, that we, that we, that we celebrate, that we enjoy, that we embrace. What is there in your heart and life today that's going to celebrate Christmas as not being about the man in the red suit, but the man with the red blood? You see, the truth is, God starts everything. We can put God center of everything. And some of you will go, well, Brother Jerry, I don't believe God starts evil. Well, okay, we can have a big theological debate about that, but I refer you to Job chapter 1. Seems to me that in Job 1 that we're taught that when Satan is going to send evil our way, that he's got to get God's permission. You see, our God is sovereign. He is holy. He is just. And Satan has no power or control without the permission of God. <clears throat> and here's the takeaway. Every situation you face at Christmas time, whether it is celebration or whether it is hurt, whether it is frustration or, or whether it is uh, uh, elation, it doesn't matter. 
God is always in the middle of your situation. You know what? We can walk through all the names of God and we can understand that God begins it all. When I was a teenager, God was just a ethereal thing out in Never Never Land that one day when I would get old. May I just say this to you teenagers? And it's great to see you here on the front row. May I say this to you? God will help you get through these real difficult teenage years. It is walking with Him that will give you some, some tools to get through life that others do not have. When others fall victim to all the things in your scene, and I don't want to be overdramatic, but whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's you get bullied, or, or the list goes on and on, the Lord will, will be there if you'll let Him. Now, if you push Him out, just like in the end, when they said no room, Jesus didn't force his way in there, and he won't force his way into your life. May I just say just a couple other things just to remind you that God is first? Scripture tells us that God so loved. The Scripture tells us that God demonstrated his love. The Scripture tells us that God raised up this man from the grave. God, the, the Scripture tells us that God sent Jesus. Everywhere you are, everything you think, everything you do, God is right there in the middle of it. So everything begins with God. Now, God, now what did he do? God sent his son, Jesus. Sent his son, Jesus. Now, you've heard me say this dozens of times in this pulpit. Probably you've heard people say it before me. God did not look across heaven to see who might be willing to go. He did not take volunteers in heaven. He did not uh, do a divine lottery. God chose Jesus to come, His only Son. And God not only chose Him, God sent His only Son. And that demonstrates His love and His commitment to us. In fact, I was reading this morning, 1 John chapter 4. Verse 9, it says, God's love was revealed in this way. God sent His one and only Son. In the King James, that would be only begotten. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Two times in two verses, it tells us that God sent His Son Jesus. That is the message of Christmas. God sent His one Son. He didn't say, world, you're out of luck. He didn't say, I couldn't do it. He sent Him. The only begotten Son. King James word that means only one of a kind. God sent His Son, Jesus, in the little manger, in the little feeding trough, as Clay said. You know, we have an idea in our mind that somehow they divinely cleaned that thing up, but do you realize that was probably a mess? If you've ever been in a cattle lot, I can tell you that the smell there is not Christian Dior. Have you ever really thought about where he was born and he was born for you and me? And he was born for a purpose. Let's just take the next few minutes and think about those three little twos, the reasons he came. First, he came... To redeem. Galatians 4 says that God, when the time was right, God sent His Son to redeem. We don't use the word redeem much anymore. 
You can go on the internet and you can get these little gift cards and you can go redeem them. Take something that's relatively nothing and change it for something that's good. For years I've used the, the illustration of the old S&H green stamps where you lick those green stamps and put them in a book and all a book or paper and spit and you can trade them in on something that's good. That's what redeeming is all about. If you get technical in the dictionary, redeeming means to ransom. It means to buy back. It means to liberate. It means to even rescue. That's why Jesus came to earth. He is the Redeemer. He came to redeem you and He came to redeem me. And candidly, what you and I miss today, what many people miss today, we miss it, we dismiss it, or we ignore it, is that we really have a need to be redeemed. You see, the the thing is, we think we're so good that we can work our way into heaven. Candidly, we are so sinful that we have no hope. And yet today we think we're so smart. We think we can talk our way into a relationship with God. We think we can elbow our way. And have you ever seen that person that if they can't get their way, they just elbow everything in, in sight to get their way? And we think we can buy our way. Man, that's the big currency today. We can buy it. You cannot elbow your way. You cannot talk your way. You cannot buy your way into a relationship with holy God because He is holy God and we are lowly man. And the holy and the lowly never can come together without an intermediary. And that's who Jesus is. He is the intermediary. We needed, when Jesus came, we needed... We still need today a Redeemer. We still need to be be rescued. We still need to admit who we are before God. We tend not to want to say that we're as bad as we are. It is still true. Please listen. It is still true that all are sinners, that there's no one righteous It is still true that the wages payment compensation for our sin is death. It is still true that if we are left on our own, we are doomed. It is still true that Jesus, the man of Christmas, sent through the the miracle of Christmas, came to free us, to rescue us, to rescue you from this lowly condition. Now, people don't like to talk about our lowly condition, but can I just give you just take a, can I just take a break and just build a case for a second? David, King David, a man who is said to have a to be a man after God's own heart. David knew his lowly condition. He knew how low he was. In fact, in Psalm twenty two six, he says, "I am a worm." You remember the old at the cross line. For such a worm am I. And we've got so sophisticated. For We went to sinners such as I. And today it's for such a one as I. David had no uh, allusions to who he was. He said, I am a worm and not a man. scorned by men and despised by people. And David knew what it was to fall. And yet when Nathan came to him and said, You're the man. 
David became honest and humble before God. Please hear your pastor today. If we ever become honest with God, we will be humble before God. If we ever see ourselves like David saw himself, then we have a chance. As long as we're arrogant and prideful, as long as we say we don't need redeeming, as long as we say we're okay, we will never reach the heart of God. Just think about David's life. First of all, David didn't go where he was supposed to go and do what he was supposed to do. The, the chapter tells us that in the, year, in the time of the year when all king goes off to war, David, he was out of place. How many of us get in trouble with God when we're not doing what he's called us to do? He began by not doing what he was supposed to do. And then he was up on a rooftop, so he lusted after a woman. Then he committed adultery. We call it a fair. He committed an adultery. Then he tried to cover it up by being deceitful. He brought Uriah back so he could go in and claim credit for the child, and Uriah wouldn't have any, any part of that. Then David committed murder. And then David stole another man's wife. May I just say this to you? I got to thinking about it. David is the guy that the church gives up on. In fact, if you were on a pastor search team and you got David's resume knowing these things, would you kick it to the curb? Aren't you glad that God looks on the heart and not on the resume? You see, God saw David not for what he was. God saw David for what he could be. And oh, by the way, it was after this great sin that David was called a man after God's own heart. And David is just one of a plethora of people in here. God uh, uh, redeemed Peter after Peter denied Christ. God redeemed Saul of Tarsus after he had killed multitudes of believers. God redeemed John Mark. After John Mark turned his back and went home. And may I just say this? No matter what's going on in your life, God will redeem you. No matter what you've done, God will redeem you. Because he's that kind of God. Redemption process means that we've taken something worthless and made it worthwhile. Or made it worthy. That's what God wants to do to you. You kind of don't like this thing of I am a worm. But when you get a hold of God, when you gain His forgiveness, when you gain the Holy Spirit in your life, when you become a saint with Him through His salvation, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you become a person after Him. God sent His Son, Jesus, to redeem, secondly, to reclaim. To reclaim. God sent His Son to reclaim. You know, part of the redemption process that I mentioned is, is buying back. It's like paying a ransom. I was thinking about this, and I thought, Clay, I ought to be careful about this. I was thinking about this, trying to get you in your context. If you were kidnapped, and somebody sent a message to your family, you can have them back for X amount of money, what would happen? I don't want a verbal response, all right? Some of you would say I'd be out, I would be the one out of luck. But in theory, the way that works, they take you, 
Your family pays the uh, uh, ransom and you would be returned. Whether that happens in real life or not, we don't know, but it's the perfect picture of what happens in Jesus. You see, in the beginning, in the beginning, God created us for His very own. He created us to enjoy us. He created us to fellowship with us. He created us that we could be with Him, walking with Him in the cool of the day. The Bible. What you think about this? God created us to walk with Him in the cool of the day. The Bible has almost 1,200 chapters. Did you hear that? The Bible has almost 1,200 chapters. Do you know how many chapters mankind lived just like he was designed to live out of 1,200 chapters? One chapter. And he really didn't make it all the way through that one chapter. You see, God made us to be his. You can read Genesis chapter 2 and you can see what God wanted. He, just, he wanted mankind just to inhabit the earth and to, and to subdue it. Because we were His. We shared together. But watch this. Don't miss this. When we sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, He not only cast them out of the garden, the picture is He drove them out of the garden. And when you look at that word in the Hebrew language, it means to expel them out. It means to cast them out. It means to thrust them out. Are you ready for this? It means to divorce them. You see, God doesn't take disobedience well. It's an affront to Him. And God took it a step further. Once He got them out of the garden, He placed a guard at the garden, and that guard was an angel that had a flaming sword, not letting any pass. But may I just say this to you, when God sent His Son Jesus to reclaim us, our Jesus is the captain of the guard. He can walk up there and say, let them pass. And when we pass, we can pass to the mercy seat, to the holy of holies where we can come boldly, where our lives can be changed. That we can be His, part of the family. God sent Jesus to redeem, to reclaim, and finally to restore. To restore. When you restore something, go ahead, Brandon. When you restore something, you bring it back to its original condition. I mean, we know about it. Some folks restore cars. They buy old cars, junkers, and they restore them back. Some people restore old furniture. They buy old furniture and they do their thing. And other folks buy old musical instruments and they restore them to their original, um, their original um, condition. Most of the time, restoration is done by a collector, but it's always done by someone who knows what that original condition was like. They can put it back close because they, they studied and they know. And, and their, their knowledge is vital to getting it done correctly. Might I just say this to you this morning, week before Christmas? The one who designed you 
is the one that wants to restore you. The one who designed us as mankind to be perfect and to live forever is the person that wants to restore us back to a condition where we can live forever. You see, God knows the person that you would have been if there was never any sin. God knows what he designed you to be. And here's the deal. To restore you, to restore me, required Jesus to die on the cross. This baby of a manger became the Lamb of glory on the cross of Calvary. He paid the cost to ransom you. He paid the price for your sin and restore you to your condition that you could have a relationship with the Father. And when we are redeemed, please listen, when we come to Jesus and He redeems us and He reclaims us and He restores us, it makes a difference in how we think. It makes a difference in how we act. It makes a difference in how we talk. It makes a difference in how we walk. It makes a difference in how we live. German philosopher Nitzke said this, I will not believe in the Redeemer of Christians until they show me they have been redeemed. You see, Jesus came because he had a vested interest in us. John 1, 1 says, beginning, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning, and Him was life. Truth is, Jesus was there when mankind was created. He has a vested interest in you. It's an old story, but I want to end with it today. I probably heard it when I was in high school. But it so vividly illustrates what the real message of Christmas is about. Little boy Tom got out in his dad's workshop and he made him a boat. He is so proud of that boat. He went down to the banks of the little river there and, and he had a string on it and he let it out and he just sat there and watched it on that string and it just kind of floated really good. He was so proud of it. It looked so good on the water. And in just a second, a little wind pushed that boat out into the current. And the current was too strong for the string that Tom had. And the string broke. And the boat got washed downstream. And so Tom ran along the bank trying to see it. And finally, he lost sight of it. Brokenhearted. A couple of days later, he was walking home from school. And one of the little pawn shop stores, type stores that he walked by, he looked up in there and it looked like his boat. And he went inside and he looked at it and sure enough, it was his boat. And he turned to the proprietor and he said, that's my boat. I, I built it. And the proprietor said, that may be. Somebody brought it in this morning. Mine now. You'll have to pay the, the price. He went home and he got into every piggy bank that he had, change that he found, and he came back to the store. He said, here's the money. And he bought his boat. And as he walked outside, as he walked outside, he looked at the boat. He said, boat, 
your mind twice. Once because I made you, and once because I bought you. Have you allowed Jesus to buy you today? Because as you see on the screen, God sent His Son Jesus to redeem, to reclaim, to restore you. Isn't it amazing that after all God did and all God gave, that He gives you a choice in the matter? Would you choose to follow the man of Christmas and be saved? Heavenly Father, it's my prayer today that if someone in this place does not know you in a personal way, I pray that today that you will break down the walls, that you will work through the